I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Jake Harris. Jake is the founder and managing partner of a private equity real estate firm that has managed, developed, and acquired more than $200 million in assets under management in the last five years. Um, Jake also has a, a book, Catching Knives, which I think we'll talk about, but I just want to start by saying thank you, Jake. Thanks for taking the time out um, to come on here and and uh, and talk some real estate. Yeah, I, I we were talking about this before the show. I love talking about real estate like a hundred percent of the time. I actually probably dream about real estate. I wake up and I have a good idea. So uh, I, I'm always excited to jump on and when people want to talk about real estate or specifically other things that I like you you do about know your why, the mindset and the tips and tricks to even evolve to that. And it doesn't matter if it's real estate or working out or doing something, you know, uh, mindset is a big component to all of that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, well, why don't we start just, can you uh, tell people, uh, I mentioned this before, I, you know, I've heard you on, on other podcasts, I've, I've heard a bit of your story, um, but let's let's kind of, unfortunately for you, rehash it again. Um, tell us a bit about your background and then uh, and then we'll, we'll dive in from there. Yeah, so um, I am married and I have uh, three kids. Um, you know, I say that because it was actually a framework shift. Um, I am a family man with a business. Many times I just jumped into the, uh, the fact that I do real estate or I have a couple hundred million dollars in assets or management, as you said, or projects and these timelines. And so, but the reality, who am I, who am I as a person? And so I play a lot of those other roles. Uh, I started, I, you know, grew up in Northern California, um, and really looking back, um, we lived in a 16-foot camp trailer. We bought an old farmhouse that was 100 years old or more than 100 years old. Uh, at least we surmised it was because it was stamped in the basement. Um, a 1888 was the stamp, and that's when the railroad had come through this town in Northern California, and so they you know, built this farmhouse. We, uh, 100 years later, it was a dilapidated, falling down, you know, vacant uh, farmhouse, and we lived in this 16-foot camp trailer and we fixed up the house over years and years and years of time of doing that. And so when I look back is like, I kind of grew up on a construction site. I grew up playing and getting the, to pick up the bent nails. I got a chance to straighten those out and build my forts. So then fast forward, I got into the, the army, you know, later in life. And then I, you know, decided to get into real estate. Um, I came into that from, again, construction. I got into a commercial construction. I was a bartender at a country club because I wanted to be around rich people and say, hey, how do I do this? I want to go get into real estate. And they say, get in construction. And I use that as another reference is because understanding how things are put together and construction is a very critical piece of 
everything, real estate, and I don't care if it's building a subdivision and moving dirt, if it is remodeling your kitchen or building a skyscraper, there's a contractor involved. And so the, the people that come from the trades tend to know what things cost and how long they should take. But I've also... Now that I've been doing this for a while, for 20 something years, I feel like I'm the curmudgeoned old man now. Like I go around and be like, back in my day, baseboards didn't cost a gazillion dollars or this didn't cost that. Cause I've had a lot of sticker shock uh, in the last couple of years of, of doing developments is like just obscene prices right now in the last mm -hmm. couple of years on everything. And it's just like, I, I don't know. I'm like shouting and yep. muddling to my <laughs> mumbling like, ah, so, but yep. uh, you know, now that I've evolved, I, I didn't start at a couple hundred million dollars worth of deals. I didn't start there. You know, I started with a house. I started, you know, really at that, that age of being eight, 10 years old, you know, my parents buying and fixing up a house because that's all they could really afford. And so that pulls back into my life and my career path. But now we're doing you know, office buildings. We have converting office buildings to apartments, doing some ground up um, hotel project along the river walk, you know, built out subdivisions, flipped 1200 houses across 23 States, do land assemblage for big, uh, multifamily adaptive reuse. I love buying historic buildings again, probably back to my roots of being a kid in, you know, fixing up these old buildings. And so I, I take affinity to taking something that, you know, uh, is historic and has a lot of character and, you know, moving it into a new generation of ownership. And I also like building some stuff uh, from the ground up as well. So by and large, my private equity company does that. We focus on secondary and tertiary markets. And then I have other ancillary businesses that have been added onto that. And it's oftentimes because it's just addressing one of the problems that I have that I needed somebody else or a contractor to solve this or, you know, uh, marketing and social media, other things. It's just like, I'm just trying to solve problems that I encounter over and over again. Yeah. I mean, that, that strategy makes sense, right? Find, find what problems you've run up against and then create something to, to fix them. But it, it's, it's interesting the, you know, sort of that construction, like growing up in construction and how that impacts you. And it's, um, I did not grow up in it as a small child, but like I am, I did grow up in uh, low income housing. And so I, I learned, I didn't want to live in low income housing. And the way I would address that once I got to the point where I could is, is buy a house that I could fix. And so I did this, I've had this, I, I think my, the first house I bought was like built in 1905. So it's like, I know exactly what that's like. And then you, then you, you learn that construction trade and, and it helps you then coming in to, being able to talk to contractors and understand, you know, kind of the, what you're looking at on a bid, what the process should be. So um, that's really cool that, that kind of that's your background. And I I think you're not the only one getting hit by sticker shock on the <laughs> current prices. And it, you, I don't even think you have to go back very far to feel that way. It's like, yes, I remember what it was like 20 years ago, but even five years ago, it really was, uh, it's been quite a big change. So yeah. Tuesday, you know, the pricing on the lumber Tuesday, you know, yeah. like what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is crazy. Um, so, I mean, what did your, what was your journey like? Like, what did you start with in, in terms of, you know, you said you did 1200 flips, like, is that where you started? Were you kind of doing it all? What, what path did you take in, you know, sort of building this portfolio? 
Yeah. So, um, I get this question. If I was to start over, you know, people ask me like, Hey, you start over, would you do it the same way? And so let me give you first kind of like where I started. I started, you know, single family houses, uh, because I could get in and I could afford them or buy it for very little, uh, amount of money down. Um, I used a 97% loan to value. I put 3% down. I was able to put that money together and, you know, exactly what, what I just said, you know, I fixed up the first house and, you know, and I, I put like $10,000 into it and all the closing costs I fixed up and did the work myself. So I tiled it and I painted it and put it in the cabinets and, um, and I lived in that first house. Um, and then when I sold it and I barely made it to the finish line is I sold it and it sold pretty quickly and I made $17,000. So I got my 10,000 back plus the $17,000. So then I was like, yes, like, look at this, I can do it. And I doubled down and I went and bought another property and with little amount of down and, you know, leveraged that. And, you know, then I made, you know, the next one, I made 25,000 and the next one I made 40,000 and I made 50. And so it was just kind of snowballing that if, if finding some levels of success, um, that started as I, you know, can continue to grow that, you know, I had then a portfolio of, of real estate, I became a, a millionaire, and I had this goal of becoming a millionaire before 30. Um, but I then, uh, or the subprime meltdown in the market um, crashed, and then all these values fell down, and I owed more on these properties than they were worth. And so I went from a millionaire to not only a no dollar millionaire, I had like a negative net worth. I had a negative net worth. And, uh, you know, I've said this a few times. It's like only a few times, like I had good credit going into that point because, you know, you have multiple mortgages, you built this up. So the banks had also given me like, you know, you could draw your account negative as long as you funded it and did some of those things. But I had like auto draft of my mortgages. Well, as I, you know, things were going the wrong way, I sold out as many properties as I could. And then what happened is I still had some properties left, but I was out of money. I had no more money left. I was no longer a millionaire. Now I'm a no dollar in there, but those mortgage payments kept coming out. And so now I have a negative bank account. So I owe 5,000 at this bank. I owe 10,000 at this bank. I owe this. And so now it's like, I have negative. So I couldn't even like go make money. And so it was like, I need to go make 15, 20, $30,000 just to get back to zero. Yeah. And so like, not only do I know, owe more on these properties than they're worth, but now I have negative. And so I was just like, dear Lord, can I be worth no money? Like zero, that would be awesome. Like, <laughs> let's start at zero. Like that would be, oh man, uh, a blessing, you know? And, and so what happened is even though I got kicked in the teeth and I had negative money, I didn't file bankruptcy. I had a couple foreclosures on a couple properties, but what I did is I just got back to work and I stepped putting one foot in front of the other. And then it was like, okay, I do want to do this forever. I am a glutton for punishment. I am going to go do real estate again for the rest of my life. So how, and what did I do right? And then what did I not do right? And so what it really came down to is I took my foot off the pedal. As soon as I achieved that goal of becoming a millionaire, I didn't reset my goals. I didn't go to say, okay, now it's 1 million. Now is it 5 million? What are the systems and how do I continue to grow? And so what I did is I just got lazy, lackadaisical. And, and so I see this so many times in life is that people think that it's you're going to get to a certain level and then it's going to be easy. 
become a millionaire and then it'll be easy get to, you know, when I retire, when I'm 65, it's going to be easier when I make this certain amount of money or this income, then it's going to be easy. And so for me, it was a revelation that it's never easy. It is a uphill battle the entire time. There was a book Ryan Holiday wrote is obstacle is the way it's a little bit diving into some stoic philosophy philosophy. But to me, where it mostly translated was, is like, think about it as like a video game. You got to level one, now to level two, level three, you can stay on level three and just exist within that realm of that level. But it's not until you grow to the next level to the next level. And, but in life, it is infinite. It goes forever. There is, you climb the mountain, you get the false peak and you realize you're in a mountain range. So the sooner I was able to just embrace and lean into the fact that this is going to be hard forever, it's going to be an uphill journey forever. It also allowed me to lean into the fact that I need to grow. I need to be challenging. I need to continue to evolve of who I am. So I'm in a race against myself. I'm in a race against who I was last year. And I want to be better than that person you know, this year and then last week and the week before that. And so if it is a constant evolution of growing and pushing my own boundaries, it's not a race against Jason. It's not a race against Tim. It's not a race against somebody else. It's just a race against me. It's like, how do I become a better version of myself every single day? I love that. I love that concept. And I think you're, you should write a book that's titled The False Peak because I, when you said that, I'm like, yeah, that's that's exactly what life, life is full of false peaks all over the place. You think I just got to get this one thing finished. And once that one thing is good, then then I'm good forever. And it's not if you want to grow, not if you want to, you know, continue to achieve it. It just doesn't it, it, it doesn't stop. So um, I love that that concept. Where did you, you know, sort of where in your journey did you decide to make that transition to commercial real estate? So you're doing these these flips, you get hit by, you know, the, the great recession. A lot of people got hit hard there, but, but as you said, you just, you just have to get back to work. Like there's a, you know, bad things are going to happen. You just, you just get back to it. You can't sit there and you can't sit there and have negative net worth, like, and do nothing about it. I mean, I guess you can, but if you are a, a high achiever, that's, that's not a place that you're going to stay in. So when did you kind of make that shift into commercial real estate then? So, you know, I flipped, you, you mentioned that flipped a lot of houses. And so we did and, and created, and I got pretty good at doing that and creating systems and developing and flipping and flipping at scale and flipping in multiple States and not visiting them. And, um, that made a lot of money, but it ended up going out, you know, to investors and out to lenders and out to, you know, agents and, you know, it was this, you know, this machine of things. But at the end of the day, when you were done, it was a giant hamster wheel. And so then it was just like, oh, I'm just doing this. Like, and, and I looked back and I was like, man, had I just kept, you know, a couple hundred of those. Wow. That, you know, like I'd be, I, I'd be set. It'd be easy. You know, I was like, no, I was like, right. not really. But I was like, it would be significantly further ahead in the understanding of like passive wealth and also generating residual income. And so again, passive income or passive wealth or residual income or something like that, that like you do all the hard work, like flipping a house, fixing it up is the hard work. And then you're like, cool, see you later. I'm on to go do the hard work again. And so it was like the, the, the most 
you know, heavy lift was that process. And so then when I realized it's the same amount of work to do a $250,000 house as it is to do a $10 million commercial building. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you actually a story of when and how this hit me over the head, like a two by four, um, two by four is a piece of wood for people. That's a stud. That's what the walls are made out of, but a giant piece of stick hitting me over the head. So I went to grad school, um, during this time, I went back to school. I went to grad school and got a degree in international real estate and finance down at FIU in, in Miami. And so part of that is I met this young kid and he was either speaking or at some event or something. And young kid, I say he was in his, his late twenties, maybe his early thirties. And he had just finished building like a high rise, a, a 40 story, you know, condo project. And he made like $30 million, 20, $30 million, a massive windfall at, you know, 28 years old. And I was just like, man, when I grow up, that's what I want to do. And I'm already older than I was already older than him when I, I met him, yeah. but it was like, oh my gosh, like what, what did you do? Did you grow up in construction? Did your dad, is he a developer? Did you like inherit a lot of money? You know, did you win the lottery? Like, how did you go build a hundred million dollar project at 28 years old? And so he was like, oh no, like I don't have any money or I didn't have any money. My, my dad, I don't even know my dad. I came over from Venezuela like two years ago. You know, and I would just knew that America was the land of opportunity. And so I came here and I've never done construction. I grew up in a socialist, like we were starving to death country of Venezuela and we escaped with nothing. And so two years ago or three years ago, whenever it was, I came to Miami and I saw a sign for some real estate that was for sale. And I went and looked at it and I was like, how much is it? And they said, it's $5 million. And he was like, wow. Cool. And then he, he talked to them and then he's like, I'd like to do something and build a project. And it was listed for 5 million. It was right down the street from another project. So we went and talked to that team and they said, oh, hey, you know, here's the architect and here's the designer. And you should also talk to the sales agent because we are actually sold out. So then they talked to the sales agent, to the architect and the designer. They went and talked and they said, oh, if you want to do that same exact thing on that parcel, like you could do that here and we could get you sales. So we put it together and put it in escrow, you know, did this, had the architects, you know, collectively moving towards that and creating the renders, got a whole bunch of sales. People were interested in buying those condos when they were finished. And so they put deposits down, they put other things. And then he went and took that to the bank and said, Hey, I have all these people that want to buy these condos, 400 of them or whatever it was, 200 of them. And the bank was like, yeah, we'll finance because they're buying it. So we don't actually care how good you are. And that construction company, we know them. And that's the architect that's amazing. And yeah, this is like, cool, sure, we'll finance it. So we only had to go out there and walk around the street in Miami. It's like, who wants to do a deal? I only need a little bit of money and it's already all funded. And he did it. And it was the first real estate project that he has ever done in his entire life coming to this country with no credit, no experience, never done it before, and just walked in and took action and did it. And so I was sitting there, I was like, I was thinking, wow, I've already done all these flips. I need to do hundreds of millions of dollars more. I need to get to this next level. Once I have a master's degree, once I have this and I understand private equity, and then I'll be able to raise more money is the you know thing. And so what I realized is like, 
holy crap, these are all limiting beliefs that I put on myself. And someone just by simply going out and taking action and doing that and saying, hey, I want to go build something. And then he took action, call it naivety or, you know, whatever. He just blindly went and took action and it worked out in his favor. And even if the project had failed, he probably would have been much further along than I was because I was holding myself back. I was limiting myself. And so, and that's where I was said, it was like hitting me over the head, like a two by four. I was just sitting there dumbfounded. I was like, oh my gosh, how terrible am I limiting these things? And so that's, I was like, I need to be doing more of these projects. I want to do commercial deals. I'm doing commercial deals. And so I just went out and I saw at an apartment in New York uh, with my wife and it was near um, the Union Square or um, uh, Madison Square Park, 11 Madison, you know, uh, restaurant was there. We would walk to Madison Park and there's the Flatiron Building there. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then it created uh, an idea that somebody owns the Flatiron Building. I wonder who that is. And then from seeing the Flatiron Building, I went back and I was doing some projects in San Antonio and there's a building that looks kind of like the Flatiron Building not as tall, it's shorter. It's only eight stories, but it's the same kind of architectural style. And I was like, man, somebody could just buy that. And it was listed on the market and been sitting on the market. And so then I was just like, I'm going to buy that. I'm going to go do that. So that's what I went out. And then I collectively said, here we go. And I negotiated it. I was able to talk to a couple investors and they said, yeah, we're in. That sounds like a great idea. It's a beautiful building. Let's do it. And so it was just the fact that I just started taking action and just, it was an idea that was like, cool. Let's go do this and take action. And it was like, and, and there's so many things that I've also had people ask me, like, did you have the proof of funds? Did you have that? I was like, no, nah, dude, I didn't have any of those things. I just had the fact that I took action and I, they didn't ask for it. Can I buy this building? And they're like, okay. And I went into toured it and they're like, great. And I was like, Hey, I can't pay you what you're asking, but I can pay you this. And they said, great, we accept. And then I was like, oh, wow, I got to raise money for this. Wow. You know, it was just like, I kept like, oh, believing. I can't believe they're letting me do this. I can't believe they're letting me do this. And that comes to the other big thing is like almost everyone I've ever met, people that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, billionaires, other things like that have this same thing. Like, I can't believe people are letting me do this. They have this imposter syndrome. They feel like at any minute, somebody's going to come in and be like, ha ha nice game over the hook and you pulled off stage and it'd be like, and so it was like, this is that I was kind of running away from this thought of imposter syndrome and also running towards something as a vision that was more inspiring that I wanted to be running towards and I wanted to do these commercial deals. And so that's how I made that transition. I made a decision just to do it, to start taking action. That's fantastic. I mean, it, 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 uh, yeah, the, the limiting beliefs are, are, you know, I think everybody has them, as you said, you know, even, even, uh, these, <laughs> the billionaires, the people that, that, that you would look at and say, they've made it, they, they're, they're to the easy point. Right. But, uh, you know, everybody has those at, at least at some point along the way. And, and I think you're, you're spot on, like the way to get past it is to take action, do some, do something right. Like I, you know, if your limiting belief is I can't do x go do x find out that you actually can like it's it's that's the reality is that you can you can do we we tell kids like we, we talked about our kids before so like we tell kids you can be anything you want to be and then somewhere between uh, that you know time in your life or, or even if you have kids like telling them that somewhere along the way 
none of us think we can be whatever we want to be or we don't we stop you know sort of pursuing that and it, it doesn't mean it's easy like your story made it sound like it was easy but i'm 100 sure it wasn't easy but you took action and that that got you there right that's like how you how you make that stuff happen um yeah, it's. I mean, and and this guy from Venezuela, like same thing. He's like, didn't didn't know enough to not try to do this. Like he was just kind of like, maybe I can do it. And you'd be shocked at just those questions. You know, just ask the questions. Can I do this? How do I do this? And it it starts to work out. Like you'll find people if you're passionate about it that that believe in you, and you can you can put it together. You know that 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 gentleman essentially assembled a team. That was his role, right? He assembled <laughs> assembled a team in getting. He wasn't building the the uh building he wasn't you know it wasn't really doing much except for finding the people that could put all these pieces together so. well and that's exactly that i mean so that's another big thing i call it the the bad dab and it's a it's a, a thing that i've been working on the bad dab is an acronym and it stands for uh builder architect developer and so um you know, or, or bad dab, you can see on the video, I do this. And sometimes, you know, my wife cringes if I do that <laughs> out in public, you know, and be like, hey, bad dab, you know. Um, but I came from starting, you know, uh, as a builder, you know, I did the things with my hands. It's, it's equivalent to being like a DIY, you know, mm -hmm. you do it yourself, you know, and, and the A, the architect, and the or architect's not doing it, but they're designing and putting some of the other things together. And then there's a developer that, hires the architect and the architect, you know, gets with the builder. And what, you know, this is the one big other thing that was like an aha moment for me was all of those things. And it was like, which one of those do you want to be? Jason, what, which one of those do you want to be? Do you want to be the, you know, builder, the architect, the developer? I mean, I, I think ultimately you want to be the developer, right? That's be, be the, be the one at the top essentially that at least that's what I want. But yes, I, I have been the builder for, for the large portion of my life. So, and that's why I call it the bad dab is because it's kind of a trick question. It's the wrong game to be playing because all of those people trade their time for money. It's a different hour that they're trading their time for money. The builder, the guy that the plumber, the, the, the framer, the whatever, he's trading his for 20 or 30 or $50 an hour. The architects trading their time for money, it might be a hundred or $200 an hour. The developers trading their time for money. And part of it is, but it's still a, a dollar uh, activity. Really what you want to do is you want to not be in that model at all. You actually want to be like the investor that is trading their money for more time. And so and that was the big thing. And back to the flipping houses and doing the other things is like, no, how do, and this is the secret that the wealthy have is they don't trade their time for money. They trade money for more time. So what happens, and that's why I call it the bad dab is because you've been put into the wrong paradigm. You've been put into the thing is like, I want to move up on my dollar per hour, you know, productivity activity. It's like, I want to move up my dollar per hour thing. And so then it's like, no, you actually need to not be pursuing that. How do you free up your time? I know that you're, you know, you got young kids. You want to spend more time with your kids. You're like, I don't want to spend more time. Money's fake. Money, and I think the government showed that very evidently that they can be up, it's down, it's fugazi, fugazi, it's a, it's a belief, fiat currency, and actually that is the definition of it. It is fake. It's made up. But what is real is time. 
time is real. We have a finite amount of time that exists. And especially as being a parent, you'll be like, you realize you missed some of the most important things. And if you're chasing money, sex, or power, or whatever these other things that you, it's oftentimes for the trade-off of the time away from your family. And so what happens is then how do you start focusing on other things? How do you start leveraging, turning your active income to start focusing it on passive income? How do you start focusing on giving those things and using your money to leverage that to giving you more time back? So you can really lean into why did God put you on this earth? What is your purpose? What is your why? What is, why are you here? And guess what happens? I'm not saying don't work. I'm not saying that you are not going to be without work because life is a constant uphill battle. But if you do not now have the financial constraint that is typically in the hedonic world of Western civilization is not that proverbial gun to your head, you now have the ability to choose the work that you do. And I believe that everyone has a unique and special genius and talent that they've been given that gives them energy, that makes them excited, that makes them and fills them up with what they do every single day. Be like, that's probably some inkling of understanding of what is your purpose? Why are you on this world? And what happens is then if you can start using your time into leaning into your purpose and then using it towards the service of other people. That's when you're going to unlock true happiness. That's when you're going to unlock all the things in the games. And then what you're going to realize is you never needed the money to begin with in the first place. Mother Teresa, you know, monks, all these other things live this and they're leaning into their purpose. And then there's a, this an energy that comes from that. I believe that there was a creator and that there's an afterlife and there's other things like that. Other people, it's the universe. And some people believe none of that. And so it's like, but to me, I think there is something that is everyone is called to do on this planet. And the, when you can start leaning into that, that is when you're going to unlock tremendous amounts of happiness, fulfillment, joy. And guess what? The whole world's going to be better because you're doing that. And it's not about money. Yeah, money's the as you you said it's fake. It's 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 a tool. It's a it's a it's a hammer to to put in the nails in your life. You know, it's really truly just something to be used as a tool. And so, it, it's uh, I mean those are great points. And I I think I do want to touch on um, kind of the title of your book being Catch Your Knives and the, the idea of investing in distressed commercial real estate. With that, you know, obviously after. 2008, the the um, Great Recession. That was a, probably a, a lot of that around. Uh, recently, the markets have been kind of out of control. Well, recently until this year, out of control in terms of you know prices going up uh, astronomically. However, now we have this you know interest rate um, conundrum that people are facing, uh, and so it, it may become relevant again to to our time in in terms of distressed real estate so would you talk a little bit about that sort of the concept behind your book and and what you're thinking how, how you apply that to you know sort of today's markets yeah so i i wrote that in 2020 because i was like oh this is the time this is the skill sets that i have that i'm really good at buying 
distressed assets, when other people are scared and there's blood in the streets, and obviously the blood in the streets when I got back and doing that was my own blood. Um, but it was like, that's the time to buy is you buy when there is distress. And really the overarching principle, and that this applies to good markets, bad markets, distress markets up and down is what you're trying to do is you're trying to buy things for underneath their intrinsic value. If it's worth a million dollars and you can buy it for less, that, you know, arbitrage works. If you're buying, and this is a business principle, you want to buy the product for less than it's worth. It's like the wholesale and selling it out to retail. Where in real estate, you have this specific, you know, capabilities to manipulate the value based on what you do to it. Fixing it up, painting it, cleaning it up, changing it from an office building to an apartment building, doing those other things that you can actually have a whole lot of value creation in real estate that you don't necessarily have from buying a piece of, uh, you know, a consumer electronics or a shoe, just because you bought a shoe that's worth a hundred dollars and you bought it for 50, you can't really change that that much. I guess you could, I maybe turn it into a handbag or something else, but I was like it much less, um, you know, akin to, to the value add process. So when I wrote this book, it was like, Hey, what you need to be doing is doing your homework ahead of when the market corrects. You need to assemble your team, assemble your team of Avengers. I've been doing real estate for 20 years. Like I said, I have a master's degree. I have a broker's license. I've done hundreds of millions of deals. And guess what? I have a team that I work with. I have acquisition managers. I have attorneys I talk to. There are people that are uniquely skilled in one particular area and be like, I'm not trying to be the expert on everything and all things real estate because thus it's not for me to understand all of this. And lots of things I, I hate doing. I don't like reading legal contracts. I hire an attorney to read lease extracts and hire them to read the loan documents and sign and do these or you know read through uh, these assignments and you know all these other things. Because it's like, dude, I get bored with those. That's not that's not what I love putting the deal together. I like structuring those other things, but seeing where there's opportunity lies and guess what? And especially what you said is there's a whole lot of people that jumped into real estate 2019. 2020 that were kind of on their side hustle, getting in and doing some commercial deals or buying some multifamily properties. And they came in and used some bridge debt with an interest only period. And, you know, and they got it at 4%, you know, or 5%. And now it's correcting and there's not an option to get a high leverage you know, four or 5% loan, it's now you need to bring in more money and you're going to pay 8% interest or nine or 10. If it's not performing, maybe your rents went up and you can, you know, the values have gone up, but I know I was actually had a, a call earlier. There's a, a multifamily kind of mastermind that I'm part of. There's a lot of people, their deals are doing okay. They're pretty good operators, but every one of them knows someone that has a deal that's in trouble right now at least a deal that's in trouble. And they're like, yeah, things are not good. You know, the rents aren't performing. It's the wrong part of time. Like, we're not sure we're going to have to do a capital call. We're going to have, we're not sure how we're going to refinance. So there's going to be some, uh, you know, deals, some sales on those. And so and that's why I was like, start preparing for that. Uh, my advice to people is, is also don't get aggressive right now. 
make sure that your numbers make sense and work for what you're doing. I had another uh, person that uh, I kind of coach uh, towards that. They want me, you know, teach them how to get into some of this commercial real estate. And so I've started doing that as coaching and teaching some of these people, but they're like, I don't know if I should get into multifamily right now. And I was like, well, it just always depends on what your business plan is. Are you trying to exit out of this deal in the next six months, the next year, next two years, next five years, next 10 years? So it'd be like, if you're playing long-term games, if you're investing over the next and you want to buy something that cash flows and you own it forever, your business plan is going to be different than someone that wants to quickly turn something and be out of it in 18 months. You have higher amounts of risk when you're executing a business plan that that's going to be in and out of it in 18 months. So you may need to buy something at a much more significant price. And so understanding what your business plan is, where you're going into it, and then execute and stay those numbers. And I found the best deals that I've oftentimes got was I was the third or fourth bidder, you know, in fourth place, and everyone else kind of failed out. And then finally the seller came back to me and was like, Hey, can you just do this deal? Or it didn't work and it went to foreclosure. And then I still stepped in and I bought it for even less than I was willing to buy it before because I'd done my homework. I knew what the numbers were. I knew what I could afford for my business plan, which may be totally different than your business plan. And it may be a terrible deal for you, but it's a great deal for me and what my business plan is. And so and that's what it talks through in the catching knives is it dives into these details of like, how do you start laying out your business plan? What do you do? Where do you go find these deals? Who should you be assembling on your team? If you know how to do construction, great. You can understand and put together those numbers. But if you don't know construction, Bring in a contractor on your team, have him look at that, validate numbers. And then really, really important is due diligence. Go do your due diligence because there's so many other things that could go wrong in a commercial building that, you know, are, are non-issues with residential. Residential, you, when you buy a house, you get like 200 pages of disclosures of all the things that can go wrong and buyer beware and disclosure this. And there's a lot of other things, commercial real estate, none of that. It is a shark tank. It is a, you know, buyer beware. You know, if your land is contaminated and now you are part of a, you can't sell it, you can't finance it. And you have a $10 million environmental cleanup bill that's on you. Because now you're the owner of that. And so be like, wow, the guy was just giving me a good deal and sold it. It used to be worth 5 million. I bought it for, you know, uh, for 4 million. It's a great deal. But they're like, oh, by the way, you have a $10 million environmental cleanup that you're now on the hook for personally. And so you're like, what? I didn't know that. You know, and those are some of the things that in the commercial real estate, there's higher levels and degrees of um, risk, but then bigger rewards. You can make lifetime and generational amounts of wealth in commercial real estate in recessions. This is the time that people now really um, emerge and make significant amounts of wealth. And the tide is going out. The people that were doing it on the side, if they're really, really good, maybe they, their deals are still working out. But if they were just playing real estate investor, this is maybe the time you get a buy and swoop in and buy some of those. Um, so that's the thing, just seeing where the opportunity, it's scary to do that. It's scary to do that when the, the market's 
not moving. It's much easier when there's frenzy and everybody's doing it. And so then understanding and playing your game is, is how you can in, execute and, and um, move efficiently because the best deals we ever bought were in 09 and then 2010 and then 2011. So, and it's, you don't try to time the market. It's the other big thing is do not try to time the market because you can't do it. The biggest and best professionals of investors in the world can't time the market. Why are you going to be able to time the market? And you think, well, I'm going to buy. And then it goes down be like, well, depends on what your business plan is. Blackstone, the biggest real estate holder in the world and some of the most sophisticated investors said they've never lost money on a real estate fund. And I was like, really? Never? And they're like, well, we've had to hold property for 10 years longer than we anticipated. We just waited for the market to come back. We bought it in 07. And then we're like, ah, ooh, we we're planning on exit in 11, but we sold it in 2020 or 2019 or something like that. We held it for a lot longer than we anticipated. But what happened, that's the, the, the benefit of real estate is you can hold and wait things out as long as you have the proper funding and liquidity and cash flow uh, on um, your deals. Other big thing on commercial real estate is it's valued on the income it drives in. Residential properties are oftentimes worth more money vacant because somebody can buy it as their a house they move into. It can be a rental property. You can do all these other things. Commercial property, not so much the case. Vacant buildings and commercial buildings tend to be worth significantly less than occupied buildings. And so that's why doing due diligence on the tenants is, is very, very important as well. And let's say that maybe some people are laying off. If you happen to own a building that uh, maybe Twitter was your tenant, I'd be very concerned about now uh, their ability to renew their lease or their desire to renew their lease coming in, you know, in the next six months to a year. Right, right. Yeah, no, that, that's that's true. And that, that goes into a lot of people talk about, you know, sort of when you're picking a market, what are the you know, four or five major employers in that area and things like that. So yeah, there's, there, we could talk hours more about, you know, all the important things about due diligence. So um, I don't want to keep you all day. Uh, I, I too love talking about real estate, but why don't we switch gears and I can um, ask you the questions that I like to ask every guest. And Jake, the, the first one is, is based on the name of the show being know your why. So, so what is your why? What, what drives you? Um, you know, God, family, and then, you know, uh, for me is giving framework and understanding to others is, and so my purpose, uh, is that, and kind of in that order, I, I do that through commercial real estate primarily, but I am, I'm finding out as I'm coaching other people and, you know, giving them the, the lay of the land and to be like, to me, it makes sense the framework and the structure and how to do those other things and freeing them up. And, and I, I mentioned a little bit on this is stop trading time for money, giving people the permission to lean into their own purpose. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, tell us something about yourself that maybe isn't common knowledge, a special skill, a hobby, any, anything that you're comfortable sharing. Um, usually I'm pretty comfortable sharing about most everything. Um, <laughs> I was like, there was something the other day I just mentioned to my wife that it kind of was out of the blue at, at random. And so I was like, let me think what that was. Um, I don't remember exactly, but um, we can, 
we can come back to it. It's all right. Yeah. And I was like, and I, I feel like there's, there's something right there. That's really, really, you know, great. Um, I, I mentioned a little bit, I was a bartender, um, but I don't, you know, uh, oh, I owned uh, for a small time, a, a winery, a wine, a high yielding cab grapes. Um, as far as, you know, as an investor in a deal we bought in Napa. Uh, and so we're flipping it. And so doing the work on it and doing some other things like that. So we got a chance to, um, you know, make wine, um, uh, you know, during that process. So not a lot of people know that. Um, That's very cool. That's very cool. Um, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way? Uh, catchknives.com is a, probably the best, you know, area for you. You can sign up. We have a newsletter um, we do some, you know, you can buy the book, uh, there you can sign up for some courses on due diligence or other things like that. Uh, harris-bay.com is my private equity real estate company. Um, so people can kind of look at some of the accesses that we do of those deals. So it just kind of depends on what and why they're reaching out to me. Um, social media is at jake.realestate. Um, and that's, I'm, you know, on all, all the things, you know, the, the TikToks and the, the, you know, Instagrams and others. And you can just Google my name, Jake Harris, real estate. And I usually pop up. I am not the guy from deadliest catch. I don't catch crabs, um, out in the Bering sea. Uh, I just do real estate mostly in Texas and, uh, I talk about real estate and I jump on podcasts. And so you can, you know, Google those and find me on all the different appropriate social media platforms. Absolutely. If you were the guy from Deadliest Catch, that would have been the good thing to say in the, what do we not know about you? If, if somehow people didn't know that you were the guy from the Deadliest Catch. Yeah, that's interesting. You know what? <laughs> that's funny because uh, there's times uh, when they do like a background check on some of the mortgages, like they pull up stuff like that. Like, hey, you know, can you explain this felony charge in, you know, Alaska? And I was like, that's not me, man. Like I've never been to Alaska. So I don't, uh, Jake Harris is still a fairly common name, but right. not me. So, uh, I've, I've committed no crimes that I've been, you know, com, uh, convicted of that I'm aware of. Uh, I've never been to Alaska. So, and that's basically what the letter says, uh, on top of other things, like, you know, I get random questions like, why did you go over your cell phone minutes in 2006? You know? And it was like, explain that. i like, I don't know. Uh, dating because someone everybody I was, did right yeah, yeah i was texting i don't know like yeah. you know, like it's like just random things that lenders like to ask you every once in a while so i've never been convicted of a crime uh let alone been to alaska maybe that's a, a bucket list adventure that i should do and hopefully i do not get you know yeah. into any trouble when i'm in don't, alaska. don't commit any felonies when you go to alaska but it's very very nice in the summer really really long days but but beautiful um final question for you jake what what uh, piece of advice would you give to someone who's who's getting started in real estate, you know, kind of just help them get their feet on the ground and get going? And um, we may have touched a bit on this earlier on, but yeah, what, what would you what would you tell them? Uh, so my two word answer is take action. My longer word is and, and actually I just wrote about this recently in the newsletter is. Let's just assume that the most M, you know, uh, impactful thing in your life is your death because you cease to exist. Most people are going to forget about you in two to three weeks. 
they're going to be like, oh, no, that was terrible. I loved him. Uh, he was great. Uh, great. Ah, oh, man. But by the time your funeral's over, most people will be just back to normal. They're going to go back to their life. They're going to deal with their own kids. They're going to deal with their own, you know, uh, bull crap. They're going to deal with their own stuff. And then three weeks, they're going to kind of be back to normal. And so I see so many people that are living in fear of disappointing other people and what other people might think of them. They are living so much thinking of the opinions of other people. I talked about this earlier. You're in a race against yourself. Who cares what anybody else thinks? And then by just going and taking action, you don't know what can happen. Like the kid that came over from Venezuela that came over and just did the, the real estate deal. And that's what I also think a lot of immigrants do very, very well in this country is they go, America is the land of opportunity. Americans are kind of soft because they're afraid to do stuff because they're afraid that the Joneses down the street might think negatively of them. But the reality is in two to three weeks, they would completely forget about you. Yeah. So take action, go do it. That's it. Take action. What, what's the worst thing that happened? Guess what? You can have a foreclosure. Yeah. You know what? You could also probably have a bankruptcy. You can also have some of these other things. That's the worst case scenario, but guess what? Like me, I did have foreclosures. But you get back into it, you get back into the saddle and be like, I'm going to go do this again. And I was like, it's not like it's broadcast on my forehead. I actually go out and talk about it on, you know, podcast. I put that out into the public. I have made lots and lots of mistakes out there. And most people, it doesn't even bother them. It's not even a blip. And so from there is like, go out and take action. And by taking action, leaning into what you really, truly want to do, who knows what is possible. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. It's it's uh, we we do spend a lot of our lives worrying about what other people are thinking and and uh, directing our actions because of that. But the reality is is that probably they're not thinking about you at all. They're just not. They're not. You're you're worrying about people thinking about you that that literally are not. They're worrying about the same thing. They're worrying about whatever someone else is thinking about them. Like they're not worried about you specifically. So yeah, go out there and and you know, live, live like it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, because it really doesn't. Um, so yeah, Jake, thank you so much. Uh, really, really appreciate having you on the show. I appreciate everything you shared. Um, yeah, thank you for for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Jason. If it was of, of help to anyone out there, you know, that's part of uh, what I try to do. Um, love everyone. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. You know, show Jason some support, go like his page, give him some reviews on his podcast, share this episode with other people. If you liked it, go give him a lot of support, you know, go follow what he's doing because this is awesome. I, I love being a, a guest on this show and I really, truly appreciate you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for, for saying that now I don't have to, cause I'm real bad at remembering that. So that that's fantastic. Thank you, uh, Jake. I'm sure people are going to love this episode. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.